0: Chapter 50 Tampa Bay. In the late spring of 1996, I received a notice from the AAAV. They were looking for more material for the ostrich part of their annual convention at Tampa Bay, August 28th through the 30th. I submitted a paper on the adverse effects of higher environmental temperatures on ostrich chicks, which was accepted. That same spring, I was contacted by the Minnesota Ostrich Association to put on a day long seminar near Minneapolis. They wanted an entire day of stuff, so I gathered five of my best husbandry sessions. I could wing the rest of the time with long Q&A sessions, maybe a roundtable discussion. When the organizer asked how much I charged, I told him I wanted round-trip plane tickets from LAX and Minneapolis for my family of four. Understandably, Mary wanted to go and bring the kids. Her family lived there. And that's where she grew up. Mary agreed to come along on the trip to Tampa Bay which is after the big shout-out at the restaurant, and before she served me with divorce papers, sort of in in that limbo stage. But still, she gave the thing another try and came along, arranging to have Nanny Carrie stay through the weekend with the kids. The trip began quietly, but was too uncomfortable for me to call pleasant. Mary was temporarily free of the kids, allowing us free time together, and related to me how relaxed she felt. However, it felt awkward to me, probably because I was feeling guilty about my indiscretions. As the days progressed, this dissipated, but it continued to nag, like an elephant sitting quietly in the corner of the room. We were in detente. I was waiting for the other shoe to drop. That was my mindset, push for the pleasant, but be careful. I was apprehensive. That first night we stayed in Tampa and walked along the white sands of Florida Gulf beaches. It was pleasant, and I relaxed more. After my lecture in Tampa, we drove across the Florida Peninsula to Orlando, east on Highway 4. We were barely 20 miles out of Tampa when I saw a sign for Plant City. Oh my gosh, I exclaimed to Mary. That place must have the coolest plants. We need to check this out. I was intrigued, envisioning nursery after nursery bursting with plants. What a fantastic find, I was thinking out loud as Mary pulled off the Trans-Florida Highway. To my dismay, Plant City was just like any other town in Florida. We eventually did find a nursery there. It specialized in palm trees. Mary pulled in, and we browsed the place. I didn't buy any, but I still have a list of 29 palm varieties this nursery, A&A Growers, had for sale. My mind seethed with the possibilities of placing palms among my gardens at Shadowmere. It was lunchtime when we left Plant City. I suggested another detour to Bach Gardens, a place advertised in a brochure I found in our room. It's 35 miles away. Here's what it says. In the 1920s, a fellow from Philadelphia named Edward Bach commissioned Frederick Law Olmsted Jr. to turn a large sandy hill about 300 feet above sea level into a spot of beauty, where people could come to enjoy the plants and the birds. And half an hour later, Mary pulled into the parking lot. The tower bells were ringing. It was magical. The bells, the birds chirping, it sounds like we're in a church cathedral, I said, listening to the majestic ringing coming from the giant tower overlooking the gardens. How come it sounds so mystical? I asked the musician of my family. The giant tower is a carillon, Mary replied. It's a tower that plays bells following a regular music scale, that's why it sounds so haunting. You hear bells played in precise notes, unlike the haphazard ringing we usually hear. And the bells are fixed. It's the clappers hitting them making the ringing. That's why it sounds so measured. It's highly controlled. The place was gorgeous, breathtaking, even magical. And the plants loved the dirt. The fertile black soil was spongy when stepped on. We spent an hour wandering the pathways. Here's where I learned about hostas and azaleas and camellias. All plants uncommon at home, but too beautiful not to try to grow. This is what I want our place to look like one day, I told Mary as we walked back towards the visitor center. I slowed and read the placards. That made me disappointed. Yeah, but he trucked the dirt in. That's cheating. The soil at Shadowmere, the place where Mary and I live, is exceptionally sandy. It's called decomposed granite, and is a natural washout product coming from the weathered hills. It is grade A road base, but terrible soil for plants, because the water runs right through preventing any nutrients from hanging around for plant roots. There are two ways to plant in areas with shitty dirt. Replace or rebuild. Olmsted followed the Donald Trump and Teddy Roosevelt plan. Bulldoze everything off and throw it away, replacing it with a beautiful product stolen from elsewhere. I prefer the build from scratch idea. It is possible to create a good soil from what you have. It merely takes science and patience two things about which politicians have no clue. But a giant soiled rebuild project was accomplished with surprising effect on the west coast in the last half of the 19th century. Californians were touting this absurd idea to use the things at hand. In 1865, not even 20 years after the gold rush began, San Francisco city visionaries invited the elder Olmsted to design the city's botanical garden. The movers and shakers in San Francisco wanted to mimic the Central Park plan. Being California, they decided to make the park three times bigger. The land on the northwest tip of San Francisco Peninsula was barren in windswept. That's what scared Olmsted. The lack of importable topsoil stymied his method. He chickened out because he didn't have that can-do Yankee spirit regarding terraforming. What was to become Golden Gate Park was an unprecedented horticulture experiment on a vast scale. And it was one that worked fabulously well. Labeled the Great Sandbank. On an 1853 map, the sparsely populated and virtually treeless landscape of the windswept, rolling dunes gave no hint of the potential for greenery. Olmsted declined, complaining that the always windswept dunes could never be changed into a garden. Naysayers called the park's future location a dreary desert. Indeed, the chosen spot must have seemed the most undesirable area imaginable to most. The task of taming the shifting sand went to William Hall and his assistant, John McLaren. They built wooden lathes and laid down piles of interwined branches on top of the dunes. Once the sand stabilized, massive quantities of horse shit were added to create tilth into the soil. During a birthday celebration, a friend asked McLaren what he wanted. McLaren replied, 50 carts of horse manure. That's a fellow after a terraformer's heart. As the garden developed, Clippings from the operations were reused as mulch to improve the soil. The addition of the organic material over a period of years created water retention and supplied nutrients. As the plants thrived, they put roots down, further stabilizing the dirt, creating an intricately intertwined ecosystem and replacing the windswept dunes. Now all the park needs are some Kyrillans. This terraforming idea was significant for me. It was what I was already doing at Shadowmere. Seeing others' results... I knew I could do this, create the green garden pasture I desired. Hopefully, I would figure a way to nurture my family's emotional roots before there would be no Shattermere left. I needed to settle this waywardness that I had embraced. But I would revisit my emotions later. Soul searching wasn't nearly as much fun as this terraforming idea. Think about it. The ability to create life by adding garbage to the soil. Not all trash, mind you, No plastics, dead things, metals, etc. But otherwise, the sky's the limit. I could create a healthy tilth simply by continually adding organic material to my gardens. The oak trees forming the canopy around the house are evergreen, always dropping some of their leaves. Although many times I feel this regular cleanup is a constant maintenance nuisance, I tell myself this is good as gold to use for the soil. I do not have to buy or have anything shipped in to make the place better. Use it as mulch or compost instead of burning it in piles, I reasoned. I also used cardboard in my garden planting. When I planted out a garden area, I lined the ground around the plants with cardboard and placed a two-inch layer of leaves or mulch branches from tree trimming companies. Over the years, as the material decomposed and became integrated in the soil, the soil would transform from sand to loam, merely by adding organic material. I could see it happening the two inch or top two inches of the topsoil was now dark fertile plus this was a lot more fun to think about than emotions and digressions we still had time to figure that out I fell asleep in Florida excited with plant ideas I went jogging early the next morning but Orlando is as humid as Tampa the humidity hit me hard and made a long run too uncomfortable Mary and I showered and dressed And jumped on the shuttle for disney world disney world is a lot like disneyland just bigger and there is epcot center mary wanted to visit it i forgot why but dogged along next to her i didn't have any other ideas we ate dinner at a japanese restaurant around the fireworks lagoon in disney world and spent some time talking to a couple on my left we left with promises to meet up at 10 the next morning in front of universal studios We were on time, arriving 15 minutes early at Universal. Mary and I sat on a concrete bench, wondering how fair weather our friends were. I don't think they're coming, I said right from the start. Not because I'm impatient, but because of the preposterous tales we fed them last night. Why wouldn't they? They don't believe us. Think about it, Mary. We sound like con artists. Why do you say that? Think about going into a Disneyland restaurant. They're tourists. We're tourists. Everyone's a tourist. Exactly. Well, not everyone. There are crooks out there who scam people out of their money. Now John and Kathy, or whatever their names are, sit down next to two other tourists, one who happens to be a famous singer, and the other some ostrich vet flying into Tampa to give veterinary lectures. That's who we are, she said. Yeah, but some people might think we're making it all up. They see us as carnies, you know, people that make up stories to steal your stuff. She laughed, shaking her head. But I was more right than Mary. Our friends never showed. The next day we finished our drive east and visited the Kennedy Space Center. These attractions were beautiful and cool, but they did not come close to generating the intellectual excitement that came from attending the Plant City Nursery or Bach Gardens. End of chapter.
1: Music's playing softly in the summer night And starlight's playing magic in your hair Just you and me surrounded by the city lights It's got me feeling something special in the air said hello to you a hundred times There comes a time You gotta take a chance For the morning light, we've got to get our feelings on the line. I could see you dancing in my dreams tonight, but I've got some
0: Thank you for listening. The entire
2: autobiography can be purchased as an old fashioned paper book or an e book, as well as an 11 disc audiobook set, or can be downloaded from the audiobook site Spotify. More details are on my website, jeadvm.com. Thank you for listening.